Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, just go ahead and open it to Hebrews 9. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, just kind of walking through the book of Hebrews, and uh, hopefully you're getting a lot out of it. But uh, to start off today, have you ever lived near or around a long-term road construction project? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's always been, and then that detour, right? That detour is, is always, uh, especially when you're like late to work or something, and that detour hits, you're like, dang, I forgot the construction, and I got to go around. Well, a few, day, a few years ago, my wife and I were uh, driving to her parents' place in Ohio, and the loop around Indianapolis was under construction, and uh, the detour that they had us go on was the most convoluted detour. It was, it was about 20 turns, and one of those where you're just driving down the road, passing light after light after light, looking for the detour sign to kind of guide you through uh, the obstacle course. Uh, but you just kind of like, man, I, I hope that that sign is up near here. I can't see anything. I don't even know where I'm going. And uh, it, you, it would take, it took about an extra 30 minutes to make it through downtown Indianapolis to finally find yourself back on I-70 to kind of go on your way. Now imagine you were kind of, uh, let's use the Indy as, a, as an example just because it's, it's a little bit more glorified than our normal detours and our normal road construction. But let's say uh, I lived near or around that kind of detour and uh, day after day I took that detour. Month after month, I took that detour. Well, maybe that road construction project is lasting so long, and I'm getting so used to going down that detour. What if one day that, that highway opens back up, and instead of me choosing to kind of like, hey, I'm throwing away the detour, I'm getting back on that highway like I used to. Instead of doing that, let's say you chose to say, no, 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 I'm going to keep doing the detour route. Even though the highway is now repaired and open, I'm going to keep doing the detour route. That's the exact lesson the author of Hebrews is trying to get through to them. That the covenant under Moses was a conditional covenant. That was the detour provided by God so that you can be approachable to, to Yahweh. But now, because of what Jesus has done, that highway is now repaired. Now you can go down that highway the way you were destined to, but you're still holding on to this detour. You're still holding on to the law that was never meant to be a permanent detour for you. And I'm going to wake you up. I'm waking you up to this highway that Jesus has now provided. And that's what these, uh, the, the audience to the letter of Hebrews is, is contemplating. These are Jewish believers. And uh, around mid-50s, late-50s, the persecution of both uh, the Jews and the Christians was dialed up. And a lot of these Jewish believers were now kind of faced with some persecution, some resistance, 
And there's a big temptation for them to kind of turn back to the faith of their fathers. Turn back and, and, and keep putting yourself underneath this law. And the author is saying, no, 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 that detour has been taken care of. You no longer have to go down that way. Jesus, his case is Jesus is now our eternal and forever high priest of Yahweh, greater than Moses ever was. And the covenant that he established, like we looked at last week, is an unconditional covenant. That's a beautiful thing as human beings, for God to give an unconditional covenant. That means that covenant is going to uh, come to pass, not based upon man's effort or man's ability, but on God's. I will do this to you. I will do this for you. And he brings back, he reminds these Jewish believers, don't you remember what was said in Jeremiah 31? God said this, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord. For everyone from least to the greatest will know me already. What's that saying? You don't need a priest anymore. You can go directly in this new covenant to God himself. You don't need to rely on anybody else to bring you as a mediator to God. He goes on, uh, for everyone, the least of the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And the author is saying to these Jewish Hebrews, the time is now. That is ex indeed what Jesus has done in this new covenant. And the author continues to, to explain why their old detour of the law is now insufficient in light of Jesus' new covenant both in their sacrificial system and their temple. And that's where he kind of continues on his kind of argument. We handled the high priest. Jesus is better than Moses. He's greater than, he's in the line of Melchizedek. He's actually produced a better covenant than the old one. And now the author is going to deal with a little bit of their sacrificial system that they've oriented around, this detour that they've oriented around, and the temple. And those are what we're going to handle today. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your life-giving eternal word. And Father, while the audience may have been two millennia ago, the revelation of who Jesus is can still hit us between the eyes. Father, I pray that you would remove any veil over our eyes or our hearts. God, from the callousness of our sin or our pride or our familiarity even with you, God, I pray that you would give us a fresh word from your Holy Spirit by the power of your life-giving word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 9 and 10, the author's wrapping up his persuasive argument of who Jesus really is to make sure that they have a full scope of what he came to do, what he came to fulfill, and now be for his people. He compares Jesus' holy, pure sacrifice given once for all time for the sins of mankind has greater power and authority than that of the now coming to an end sacrificial system of daily, monthly, annual sacrifices of bulls and goats. But here's the fact. No covenant with God was instated without blood. No covenant with God was instated without without blood. That's one thing that we kind of um, 
in our sanitized 21st century uh, generation, it's very hard for us to kind of orient ourselves around this concept of blood. It's usually the ones that we kind of just want to get away from. My wife hates shots. You know, it's just like, if I see blood, ah, get me out. Just gets that little dry heave going on. Anyway, but we need to understand this truth about blood. The Adamic covenant, God killed an animal and made a covering for them. That was a covenant made with God. I'm going to cover your sin. The death was required. Abraham, circumcision, and the ram of Isaac, both were covenant-making things. After the commandments were read to the people, they agreed to the covenant with Moses. Many bulls were sacrificed on the day to solidify that covenant. When the law was given, they have a huge sacrifice to to covenant with God together, but it comes through the shedding of blood. Not only did covenants require the shedding of blood, but so does the pardoning of any and all sin. Why was blood required? Because God is holy. God is pure. And our brokenness is not that. Far from it. So a blood sacrifice needed to be made to cover people's sin. And that was the system that was set up. And so not only on a weekly or monthly, but definitely on the Day of Atonement once a year, you'd be coming and giving a sacrifice for your sin, and the high priest would go into that temple and cleanse everything in that temple with the blood of goats and rams and sheep and all the kind of animals that were required. Hebrews 9 says this, For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law, commandments, and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Imagine this playing out. Then he said, This blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. In this cosmic universe that God set up, God chose that that was the means by which we could be made holy in the sight of God, covered, sins covered. Not only would God's people need to offer sacrifices for their individual or familial sins, but once a year, like I said, that day of atonement, the high priest would sprinkle the sacrificial, system, or sacrificial blood over every item of the tabernacle. And here's, here's I want to show you a picture of kind of the, the tabernacle, what the tabernacle looked like. This was kind of the general items of the tabernacle, uh, and then which later became the same kind of blueprint or footprint of the, of the temple, when the temple building was created with Solomon. But uh, here, we, let's kind of just go through these elements because we're going to see how Jesus upends this entire deal. So uh, you have this entrance gate. You have your altar. You, you, your blood sacrifice is given there. And then that high priest, he would offer that sacrifice for people's sins. He would wash himself in this big water basin to cleanse himself, consecrate himself. And then he could be able to go into the holy place. This is the holy place that the high priest would go in once a year and 
he would cleanse every item in this temple with blood. There was the table of showbread. There was 12 loaves that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have, uh, it says menorah, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of the seven, it's the menorah. It is the menorah. Anyway, it's on a table too. Anyway, praise God. Anyway, uh, you got the altar of incense. If you read in Exodus 30, this is the place where at the altar of incense, God says to the high priest, it is at that place, at the altar of incense, that I will come and commune with you there. And I will share with you my heart. But then there is this veil. There is this veil that weighed almost four, three to four tons. It was 10 to 12 inches thick. And that veil that was hung from the ceiling separated the holy place with the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. The Ark of the Covenant uh, and God's, God's presence was there. And so this is what the high priest would go in and he would cleanse the entire temple with every year, a sacrifice on a continual basis. And all this was done to cleanse people from ritual defilement, to merely make them presentable to God. Hebrews 9.14 says, Just think how much more... The blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of God's Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You've heard it maybe said that he died a death that you couldn't. He died, he was a perfect, holy sacrifice. The injustice that he died upended the cosmos because he didn't deserve death. That pure, holy sacrifice is what inaugurated this new covenant with God and man. Hebrews 10.1 says this, though. The old system of the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. If you're kind of new to following Jesus and the, the knowledge of the history of Israel, God intentionally leads there's so many stories of how when God led the nation of Israel through their whole story, it was pointing forward to something. It was a shadow of the real thing that God was pointing to. So here's this kind of New Testament image that he's trying to communicate that now that this detour is ended, the highway is now back open and in which this perfect and holy sacrifice of Jesus once for all time and his blood shed now purifies you eternally. And now you can have the, like, the, now you can be washed clean of your sins and you can boldly enter into this holy place that's now been made open, this detour that once the only the high priest could go in, now you can. And now, not only do you have a nourishment from his word, but you have light and fire of his Holy Spirit that guides you. And at that altar of incense is where you commune with God. Oh, and that veil? Look, it's now removed. And God's presence is there with you. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus was intending all along. This is what the Father wanted to create all along. Not just a temple system, sacrificial system for all eternally. No, that was a detour. But now the highway is now open. And that's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? 
you give your life, when you yield your life to Jesus, give your allegiance to him, God puts his spirit inside of you and you can have, you can commune with God at all times. That's the gospel. And that's the amazing thing is because of our sin, we don't deserve any of that. Because of our brokenness, because of our rebellion, because of our pride, because of our selfishness. There's nothing that we don't deserve any of that. But God, in his graciousness, pan picks people in any, every generation to say, man, I want to demonstrate who I am through them so that this generation can see who I am. And don't, fellas, don't make the mistake that thinking that this whole sacrificial system, Jewish believers, this elaborate, well-constructed, though as is, is what God had in mind as the final scene final scheme. So what happened to Jesus is that the main road from humanity to a holy living God had been restored. You can trust on the main highway. You can travel on the main highway through Jesus straight into the heart of the presence of God and commune with him. And that's why the author concludes this section with this. Hebrews 10:19. He says, and so Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter God's, uh, enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Mm. Praise God. Let us go right into this presence, this encouragement that what are you waiting for? What are you hiding from? What sin are you still willing to just hold on to in light of you being in relationship with Yahweh? Nothing. In light of that, it's nothing. There was a, one Christmas where they used to make a, a tower that had a record player, dual cassette players, radio. Man, this thing, was, and, the, and the tower and the speakers were really tall. And there was one Christmas where I was like, asked my parents, I was like, man, that stereo would be sweet. Because I don't know if you remember, but back in the day when you just had radio and you didn't have MP3, you had to make your little mixtapes off of recording the radio. Did everybody, anybody remember that? And so sometimes you get the little DJ's voice right at the beginning of your song, or uh, you get like after the first verse because you've been running to get your cassette tape because you're like, I've been wanting to record this song. Anyway, where am I going with this? Praise God. Uh, but I, I remember asking for that, and then right after I asked for it, like two weeks later, I found out that the, the original Nintendo was coming out that same year. And I remember going back to my parents and asking them, hey, in light of this better gift, could you maybe not give me this other one? And, and uh, a lot of times that's, that's what comes down is when we're confronted with something better, what we have, you really realize that, oh my gosh, what am I wasting my time on this for? There's something so much greater and so much better that's worth my time. 
not saying that Nintendo was that. Anyway, praise God. Where are we going? Um, I just, I want to read this section. It's not up there, but I just, I want us to kind of read this, this whole, this whole warning, this whole caution, this whole encouragement to boldly enter in, boldly enter in. So he says, don't throw away. Oh, dear brothers, we can boldly enter in God's most holy place. Let us go right into God's presence, verse 22. And then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this. He goes on. This is his encouragement to these Jewish believers. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope that we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Think of the ways to encourage one another, to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we received a full knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice that can cover these sins. There is nothing to look forward to but the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant as though it were common and unholy. Such people have, an insult, have insulted and enraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to his people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So don't forget those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew you had better things waiting for you in, all e- in eternity. And then verse 35. So, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Don't throw away this confident assurance, this trust in God, this resolute confidence that God is who he says he is. He's a fulfiller of promises. We can look back on all of his history, and he fulfills every one of them. He doesn't forget any one of them. God will follow through with every promise he has given you and to his people. And so in this kind of warning, there's kind of like three big big items. Number one, boldly enter. Boldly enter God's presence yourself. This is not entering into God's presence. It's you going in your own closet, closing that door, shutting off all distractions, and saying, God, I want to meet you in the holy place. Right at that table of incense in the heavenly realms, God, I want to meet with you there. Boldly enter in. Do you not understand that the graciousness and mercy of God, that that even in your broken, prideful, rebellious state, living in bondage and sin and bitterness and unforgiveness, He chose you. He chose you. Now you can boldly enter into his holy 
and mighty presence. Wow. Then he said, hold tightly to the truth of God. Hold tightly to the truth of God. Don't waver because of cultural pressure. Every generation has cultural pressure, a battle to fight. And you have to work it out in your head. Am I going to trust God and his word and the way he made things? Or am I going to not? Am I going to maybe lean into kind of cultural wisdom because it seems so progressive and beautiful? Not realizing that if you just stood back, could you, could you at least admit the more people that are on kind of rebelling against side, their life is getting more and more broken, more and more bitter, more and more angry, more and more confused. Why? Because you've turned your back on the very thing that can heal you. So boldly enter, hold tightly, and stick together. Don't neglect meeting. Why? Because there's power when God's people get together. So of these three areas, boldly enter, hold tightly, stick together, which in your own walk with God do you need to lean into? Which one of those three is God in this season maybe saying, I want you to lean into that? You've been avoiding that. You've been not really doing a faithful job with that. God, Holy Spirit, where are you wanting me to lean into? And take that and say, God, you just, you just, you just kind of gave me some marching orders for this next season. God, what are you asking me to do? Boldly enter? And confidently trust in your truth or, or stick together. Man, I need community. I feel isolated. I'm, I'm kind of alone out here. Oh, man, we need to stick together. Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You've got to understand a little bit more about this loving God. God's love is found right in the middle of his holiness. And sometimes the church has a tendency to rob holiness, rob God of holiness and say he's just love. And it's like, no, if you want to find his love, it's in the middle of pure holiness of God. The highway of God is now open through Jesus Christ, who was the one who, who was the only one who could offer himself as a perfect sacrifice to break the curse of mankind's sin and rebellion. The blood of goats and rams could never do it. It could just cover it over. It was the detour that they followed for a thousand years, 2,000. But now the highway is open with Jesus. We're going to take a little communion this morning. Let me kind of pray uh, uh, before uh, invite the worship team to come on up. But we're going to take a little communion together. I thought it was very fitting uh, how we take communion here is uh, we'll have a table just down front. And uh, if you just uh, stand on up, come down, grab the elements, and then kind of head back to your seat on the sides. Keep the elements with you, and we'll kind of take them together, okay? So uh, I invite you to come on up, grab some communion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are such a great high priest. Lord, will you just invite us to come partake of, God, your communion, of, of your, your bread and the cup together.
And so, Lord, we just uh, invite you to just be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on up. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.